We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my beautiful friends. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to hang out with us on Empower Radio. From my perspective as a couples counselor, one of the most powerful qualities that helps create, support, and sustain a healthy relationship is deep listening. We all want to be heard, and it's such a gift when we can sit with another, be truly present in a peaceful way, and relax deeper into the heart of listening. This quality of listening doesn't just transform our relationships, it can transform our lives. There's so much magic here on planet Earth and so much more going on than what meets the eye. But we have to slow down, pay attention, go deeper, and listen. Today we're going to talk about what this means, how we can do it, and how it can support us in embarking upon a truly sacred path. We are here with Mark Nepo. Mark is a best-selling author, poet, and philosopher. He has published 15 books, including the New York Times best-selling book that inspired and moved millions of people, The Book of Awakening. Mark has appeared with Oprah Winfrey on her Super Soul Sunday program on OWN and been interviewed by Robin Roberts on Good Morning America. Now in his book, 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred, Mark inquires into that endless way that life invites us to listen. Having experienced hearing loss, Mark teaches us that listening is one of the most mysterious, luminous, and challenging art forms. His book is a remarkable guide that offers ways to listen to life, live more fully, and supports us in unpacking the many ways we are called to refine and redefine ourselves and name what is meaningful as we face the challenges in life. So, Mark Nepo, thank you so much for being here on Journey to Center. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's great to be with you. Oh, I'm incredibly honored. So now, Mark, tell me about the title of your book, 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. Well, yeah, there's two, there's two things about that that really, you know, one is how the title, I, I stumbled on the title, and I was, um, I was talking to a linguist from Nigeria, and we've since become good friends, and he was so excited about languages, and he was talking to me about how, you know, languages like trees and plants, they're just, they grow, they keep growing and changing and moving toward the light. And he said that there are at least 7,000 languages on Earth, and many of them are not literate, they're not written, they're oral. And so we, it was delightful, a delightful person. And I went home that night, and I had been kind of circling this book in the early stages. And I, I went to sleep with my wife, Susan, and our dog, and um, Mira, and, um, and it was very quiet. And suddenly, in kind of an obvious profundity, <laughs> it occurred to me that if there are at least 7,000 ways to speak, there have to be 7,000 ways to listen. Mm-hmm. And that gave me kind of a way... In, into the book, and, and of course it's a metaphor, there aren't actually, you know, I don't list a thousand ways, <laughs> um, but the subtitle, it, it, we go a little deeper, you know, staying close to what is sacred, and this comes from the original definition of the word sacrifice. 
you know, we know that sacrifice, as we come to understand it, is quite an amazing thing when people lay down their lives, even, you know, um, for the greater good. Um, it's an incredible thing that I don't think anybody plans, but something happened within. But that's not the original definition. The original definition goes back to how how we, as spirits on Earth, encounter messy and mysterious journey of being human. And it means uh, staying close to what is sacred by giving up what no longer works. Mm. That's, hmm, that's what the original meaning was. So we, we give up what no longer works in order to stay close to it. Yeah, I heard you mention that to Oprah when she interviewed you. It was so beautiful. The de- definition of sacrifice is to give up what no longer works to stay what Stay close, close to what is sacred. What is sacred. So this, this yeah. tells, yeah, and so this tells us that what that that life is constantly changing, and that what what works today will probably not work forever. That in order to stay close to what matters, we will have to grow and change. So already we're being asked to listen in a different way. Mm-hmm. We're, we're being asked to listen as we are growing and changing and evolving. We're being asked to listen to what, what is keeping me from things now? And what do I have to put down in order to get back close to what matters? And that's different than, you know, you're saying, I'm just going to stick to this no matter what. <laughs> yeah, you need to be, I think, flexible. I call that the yoga of life because it is constantly hmm. shifting and morphing and transforming. If we're rigid, it's probably not going to serve us very well. No, in fact, you know, in one of the great old texts, the Tao by Lao Tzu, he has a uh, a chapter that says that you know the brittle, the brittle are the ones who break and die. Mm. Those who are those who are flexible, those who move like water. Yes, they are refreshed and move on. Exactly, exactly. Now, something you say, I think this is pretty um, poignant. That the mind is like a hungry tiger. But in silencing the tiger and staying open is what keeps us connected to that deeper reality. So mm. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Well, you know, the mind, the mind is a tremendous, tremendous gift and tool as long as we don't give the keys to the car to it. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, heard that mind, before. That's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> the mind is... Is incredible, and our the consciousness that comes from it. But the mind is voracious; it will not stop. And so, you know, given any kind of vacuum, our minds are—I I, at least I experience—our minds are ready to say, "Okay, get, hey, I can take care of that. Give that to me." But you know, one of the gifts for me from my cancer journey so many years ago was that through no wisdom on my part, but I woke up and my mind was serving my heart for the first time in my life and not the other way around. And and I think that that's been a real important learning, a real important practice, is how to have that tool serve the heart and the spirit. Because, what, you know, one of the things that's amazing about being human and about having this thing called a mind it's, you know, we, we learn, of course, and we do have insights, and then we, we make patterns out of things. We're meaning-seeking creatures, and we put things together. 
And that's all wonderful as it applies to what's real right now. But what happens, of course, is that as soon as what I learn today, as we get to tomorrow and next week and a month from now, if I don't keep it real, which goes back to staying close to what is sacred, Mm -hmm. then what happens? What I learn hardens into assumptions and conclusions. Mm -hmm. And now, like a callus or a cataract, now there's a film between me and direct living. So part of the gift of having this incredible thing called the mind is that we do accumulate wisdom and knowledge. But if we don't keep using it, we are constantly asked to empty or clean ourselves out mm-hmm. of assumptions and conclusions so we can stay really close to what matters. Yes. You know, for me, I think it was so liberating when I really got to the place of surrendering, thinking I had to know anything and get back to that place of the beginner's mind. That was incredibly liberating. And it's so wonderful not to have to know anything. It's uh, much more comfortable. So funny, I thought I had to know things. (laughs) Well, and I think that, you know, as you speak about the inner mind, we we are asked to to constantly empty and begin. Mm -hmm. Empty and begin. And, you know, there's a wonderful, wonderful little little, uh, story that goes, um, you know, to two physicists uh, who are really, you know, they're eager to share their their new theories with a very wise Hindu sage. And so they make the journey all the way uh, over to India. And they're brought, you know, they trek and they travel and they, they're brought into his, um, uh, his little home. And they wait and he comes in and there's teacups on the table. And he, the old sage starts pouring the tea and he doesn't stop when the cup is full and it starts spilling all over the table. And now the physicists are trying to be respectful that they're looking at each other like, oh no, did we make all this trip and he's not lucid anymore? I mean, <laughs> what do we do? And so finally, one of the physicists tries to gently say, oh, your, your holiness, the cup is full. And the sage, without looking at them, still pouring the tea, overflowing on the table, says, as are your mind, empty them and return, and then we shall talk. Mm. A great parable. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So here's something else that I just love so much was quote in your book. When we listen with our mind, we understand more of life. When we listen with our heart, we feel more of life. When we listen with our entire being and spirit, we are transformed and join with life itself. That gives me goosebumps. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. You know, I think that um, one of the lessons I've been asked to learn along the way, which I don't think is unique, is that, you know, there's a difference between thinking I love you and saying I love you and then embracing someone with love. Mm. And the journey of great love and great suffering brings us ever closer to embodied living, to being asked to really be in whatever moment we are, and not looking at it. Now, we certainly we certainly can learn from watching, but the aim of watching is to be involved. Mm-hmm. So the, this leads to another small story. Um, so there's a master and an apprentice. 
there's always a master and a prince. <laughs> and so the master tells his apprentice, he says, I want you to go and sit by the river until you've learned all the river has to teach you. And so he's a very, you know, earnest student. So he, yeah, he, he, he goes over there and um, goes to the river. He sits by the river. He spends the whole first half of the first day trying to figure out what's the, the best place to, uh, to sit and take all this in. So after he finally figures out where that is, and then he's there for three days in deep meditation, after which he has a terrific headache. <laughs> <laughs> and and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a, a monkey comes along and jumps in the river and is splashing and yapping and hooting around, <clears throat> and it cracks the apprentice, and he, he, he starts to weep, and he gathers his thing, and, and he goes back to his master, who tells him the whole story, and his master puts his arm around him and says, Ah, the monkey heard. You just listened. Ah. Yeah, the monkey heard you just listen. So Yeah, that really takes you deeper. Yeah, because the whole the, the goal was not to watch the river, the goal was to get wet. <laughs> And you know it's so funny because I was thinking as I was reading your book, this isn't just like reading a book. It's it it's not skimming across the surface and just reading and intellectually understanding something. It is, it's like swimming in the deep end of the pool. And that, that's the place I love to be. You don't read your book. You ex I experience your book. And I think it has a way of just inviting readers to go deeper and deeper into the river, into the ex experience of being human, if, if that's what they want. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, you say also that deep listening requires letting go of our internal argument with the world. It's like having to put that down, it seems. So tell me more about that. Well, I, you know, I think that, uh, and at least I've experienced this, you know, um, we're, all, we're all born into this incredible paradox of being human. And we're all born with a sense of what is uh, what we're looking for, what seems fair and gentle and loving. And of course we bump into the harsh, inexplicable realities of life. And so, you know, sooner or later we all, each one of us has, has our own argument with life. How, how are we going to make sense of being here in a world that's at once incredibly beautiful and gentle and miraculous? and incredibly cruel and unjust and awful. Mm -hmm. No one has ever been able to come up with an answer or make sense. So we are, we're asked in this journey to somehow hold our heart open to this really incredible paradox. And so we each have this kind of ongoing argument with life. How do we make sense of what's fair and not fair and what's beautiful and what's awful? And so, so I think we're, we're all in our own journey led to a place of, of acceptance. How do we, and so, so before we even go there, how do we listen to life to start to make sense of this argument? Mm -hmm. and, and I can't tell you, no, nobody can tell you how, 
All we can do is compare notes and humility, you know? And, and yes, there are things that are unfair. There are things that are awful. You know, all we have to do is look at the history of the last century, the most horrible history of genocides throughout human history. Mm-hmm. And, and there are incredible miracles and kindness and gentleness every day. Both are true. And we're asked to open our heart up wide enough and deep enough to let those seeming contradictions mix so that we can feel the meaning of life through the logic of the heart. But the mind can't solve it. So, you know, sooner or later, and, you know, and I have a chapter in 7,000 Ways to Listen, it's called Not Getting What You Want. (laughs) Sooner or later, no matter who you are, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how much support you have, no matter how intelligent you are, or lucky, or what connections you might have, you name it, okay? Whether you've won the lottery, sooner or later, everyone on Earth doesn't get what they want. Now, that's not to minimize the things we want. Oh yeah, if I you know if I want a second car, that might be not so important. You know, if I want my partner to live and not die, that's important. So it's not to minimize, you know, because the journey and our argument with grief and loss, you know, we are shaped by the by, by the river of experience. So that's not to minimize that. And still, we all face this moment of not getting what we want. And when we can lean into it humbly and be in conversation and listen to what we're being asked to learn, then an interesting thing starts to happen. Not getting what we want breaks our self-reference. It doesn't deface us. It doesn't eliminate. It doesn't make us insignificant. It breaks our self-reference, which means that it's not just all about me. I am a... Then we start to have a different conversation. And this is when the spiritual journey truly begins. We start to be asked to say, oh, I am a living part in a living whole, W-H-O-L-E. I am a living part in a living hole. What kind of part am I? In what kind of hole? Am I a fish in a river? Am I a bird in a tree? Am I a star in the sky or a rung on a ladder? Hmm. Am I, a, am I something that will help people get to their dream? Mm-hmm. What kind That's of my part. Yes. Yeah. That, that's so beautiful. Yeah. To surrender to that. And you do say rather than run from the struggle of the pain, engage with it as a point of transformation. Well, you know, we, we, and that's hard. Nobody wants to do that. It hurts. Yeah, <laughs> you know? pain's not that much fun, really, but no. it is an opportunity. <laughs> well, and the thing is, we don't, you know, it's not like I'm advocating for pain. We will experience pain. We will experience loss and difficulty. So it's what is the, what is our best way of getting through that and finding resilience and being mm-hmm. transformed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's totally understandable that we pull away, you know, from pain and fear and worry. This is how pain and fear and worry present themselves. That's the nature of pain and fear and worry. When we suddenly have a pain, we contract, we pull away. And, but 
that doesn't mean that that needs to become a philosophy to live by. Right. Building walls around our pain doesn't really protect us from pain. Wow. No, no, no. So, you know, I, I found that, that uh, after that initial recoil, with all the help we can get, I know I do, and I feel we need to lean in to what we're facing. Yes. To, to lean into Go deeper. it. Mm-hmm. And be in conversation with it. Be in conversation with it. Absolutely, because there is there there are opportunities to go deeper if we don't retreat from the pain, you know? And we do live on this planet of duality, and it's a trip, you know? Yeah. It's a trip, and I, I do think it's a double-edged sword, and it's an honor and a privilege and a blessing, and, and it hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it also does. quite you know, magical. Yeah. If we it's want it to be, magical. if we want to go deeper. You, you know, you can't make up what reality really is. If we open our hearts and eyes to what is before us, you just can't, you couldn't even make it up into the story. <laughs> that's how amazing, that's how amazing it all is. That's how amazing it, it really is. Yeah, it's, it's a miracle that we're here. Like what you had mentioned in your book, you know, what it takes to make a cup of nectar. I mean, that we're here is just, it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I think, you're, and, you know, I'm referring to probably this uh, this amazing fact in, in the world of plants, but it takes six million pollen grains to seed one peony. Wow. That's, that's astonishing. So, you know, so let's look at that for a second. So. Um, you know, for the one pollen grain that becomes the peony, a life's a gas. It's <laughs> <Pretty> wonderful. <laughs> and for all the rest, they go, well, you know, they're dark, they're existential, they're pessimistic, they're nihilistic. But, but this is the thing about being a spirit in the body and time on earth. We are always both. Any given day, we get to do this over and over again. Any day, we cannot be the seed that becomes the flower and the next day will blossom. And so to, to let in the totality of that, leaning into life allows us to keep learning when we're not the blossom so that we can be the blossom. Mm-hmm. And often in our joy or pain, we get locked into only half of that journey. We say, Oh, I didn't get to blossom today, so life really sucks. <laughs> I must buy, I must not be worthy to be a flower. Right, right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and the thing is, you know, nothing is the same. Yes. Just, just as the earth, you know, just as there's day and night constantly, we move in and out of there. Just as the sea out in the ocean, there are great swells and when you're at the crest of a wave, you can see the horizon. You can see for eternity. Now you go down into the belly of the wave and you can't see anything and you're afraid that the wave's going to crash on you and you'll drown. And then you rise up again. And this mm-hmm. is one of the rhythms of life. How to help each other. Yeah, so let me just, one other thing about that, and that is, uh, how do we help each other? How do we say, when I'm, you know, when I'm in the belly of the wave and you're at the crest, well, you can remind me that you can still see the horizon. It's beautiful. 
Yes, I say to be spiritual rock climbers and help each other up, you know, and, yeah, and give each other yeah. perspective and lean on each other and pitch a tent on a plateau and have a picnic and <laughs> talk about <laughs> our perspectives. So, Mark, this is just so incredible. We only have a couple of minutes left here. So I want you to share with our listeners where they can get a copy of your book or find out more about you or get your other 14 or 15 books. And, and uh, uh, how can they get more Mark Nepo? I know yeah, they want thank, it. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, there's two websites, uh, marknepo.com and threeintentions.com, all spelled out as one word. And both feature my work and have where I'm teaching and speaking. And, and all, all of my books are available through Amazon or on that. And, you know, I, um, I'm also this fall, I'm going to be part of Oprah's uh, uh, Live Your Life weekend tour, um, which is real exciting. And you can find that out about that. People can at oprah.com uh, slash tour. Um, and, and I have a new book coming out this fall uh, that is called The Endless Practice, Becoming Who You Were Born to Be. It'll actually be out at the end of August from uh, Atria, which is part of Simon & Schuster. You are a busy man. <laughs> and I oh, love how you're gracefully sharing your magic and your wisdom with the world. And such an honor to connect with you. I'm just so grateful, so grateful to have had this conversation with you today. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. It's a joy, really. It is a joy. And I look forward to having you back and talking about joy. So that's another exciting day. So to my listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. Blessings from our heart to yours. Get a hold of me at Tammy B. PhD. If you have any questions, want to connect, have, have a suggestion for a show, or just want to say hi. This is about connecting. So God bless you. Onward and upward. Bye for now.